A few weeks ago, we began a series. I've just called the series Kingdom, but with the byline, uh, Callings, Commitments, and Combat. And uh, we spent two weeks talking about the worship aspect of the kingdom, trying uh, two Sundays. we trying to paint the picture and remind us of the, the glorious reign and rule of Jesus Christ, looking at his throne a couple of Sundays ago, and then looking at his authority, the only one in heaven who had the authority to open the scroll as we looked last week. And then this past Wednesday night in our immersed service, uh, we, we took a long look at the devil and made, I believe, a good solid biblical case about why the devil hates you, and why he fights you. And it is for no other reason than that you are a part of the kingdom that he was evicted from that he wanted that throne for himself, the very throne of God. And because of his pride and rebellion, he was refused that throne and evicted from the kingdom of God. And yet you, by faith, are now joint heirs with Jesus. You are uh, a part of a, uh, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the citizenry of God's kingdom. And so the enemy comes against you. And following along that, I want to speak today a message that I'm calling No Ringside Seating. And I'm going to bring in a sporting metaphor, and all through this message, we're going to be looking at the aspect of combat and weaponry and fighting and recognizing that we are none of us that are bought with the blood of Jesus, that are saved by the grace of God. None of us are civilians in that sense. We are all called to a level of combat. You say, Jeff, that's not my temperament. That's not my style. That's not the motif of the kingdom that really resonates with me. Well, I'm sorry because you are in the middle of a war. And if you don't fight, you need to know this. There is a fight coming against you. And so really, ultimately, we have no choice but to to engage the enemy and fight, not simply from a defensive posture, but we are to be offensive. We are to reclaim surrendered ground. We are not to flee the enemy. The Bible says if we will resist him, he will actually flee from us. The demons of hell should be seeking counseling because of what God is doing in your life. And so often, I think we take a cross our fingers keep our head down and wait for Jesus to come back, approach. And I don't think in this season we're going to have that luxury. So I'm going to read to you some very familiar verses, but I'm not going to preach them the way that I have in the past. I'm not going through every piece of the armor. That's a very interesting study. But again, I'm going for kingdom big picture this morning. So I'm going to ask you to honor the opening reading of the Word of God by standing on your feet if you're physically able. Some have asked recently, Jeff, what translation do you read and preach out of? I typically use the English Standard Version, and if you have another translation, feel free to read along. If you want to follow me uh, word for word, it'll be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 10, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You can be seated. I've always been a fan of the most basic sport, and that is the pugilist sport. I love fights. Uh, Growing up in suburban Atlanta, summer's got long. You're with the same kids every day, and eventually you run out of things to do. So about the end of the summer, there was always a good collection of summer-ending fistfights between the boys that grew up in Lost Springs and Lilburn, where I grew up. Now, I was always smaller, so I had to fight harder, and I had to be a little slicker, and I had some things up my proverbial sleeves that enabled me to win, and if I ever came up an opponent bigger than me, I could run faster than most of them in those days. But fighting was always a draw for me. I remember in the heyday of Mike Tyson, I would pay-per-view, even though I was broke, never had any money back then, I would pay-per-view every single Tyson fight. Now you've got MMA, and you've got all of this different, and I know it's barbaric, and it doesn't resonate with anybody, but I'm the one preaching the sermon, and let me just tell you, I like a good fight. Now, the difference between liking a good fight and being a good fighter is, carries a lot of different elements. You will never find me in the ring because I like to live. I'm not going to get in the ring with any of those men or any of those women for that matter. I don't want to fight any of the women that are in there. But I like a good ringside seat. From the ringside, you can feel like you're a part of the fight, and yet you don't risk anything. From the ringside, you can hear the bones crunch. You can see the spit fly. You can hit the, see the, hear the blood hitting the mat. And you feel like you're a part of something, and yet you get to go home, and you don't have to go to the hospital. You feel great the next day. Ringside seating, if you can afford it, is really good and really fun. It's as close to the action as you can get without actually risking any personal li- or, uh, injury. A lot of us, I believe, have been living the Christian life in a similar fashion. We're not engaged in the fight. We're aware that there is one. We understand the concept of evil and good and light and darkness and God and the devil and Jesus and and the antichrist spirit of a generation. We're aware that all of that is going on, but we're not engaging in the fight. We leave it to the paid clergy. That's what the pastor does. That's what the missionary does. That's what my my small group leader does. That's what this one does and and the evangelist and so on and so on. But but we we have our ringside seating and and we just watch the professionals do all the war. Now, it may be an overgeneralization, and I hope it is for your life, but I've been around this thing in the local church ministry for a while now, and I do believe it's a little more common than we want to recognize. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about no more ringside seating. I'm calling you out of your seat. I'm calling you out of the safety of even the best seat on the front row and saying you need to go a little further because if you don't go to the battle, mark this down, it is coming to you. And so we have to understand how we've been equipped, what we have, and how we are not just supposed to wait for the battle to find us because then sometimes it's too late, but we are to be engaging proactively to gain territory, to win people, and bring them into this kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in so doing, to thwart the schemes of the enemy who has a very detailed and active plan for our generation. So let's begin with what I want to call embracing our kingdom authority. 
If we are going to win, if we are even going to begin to fight, it must be sourced in our kingdom authority. And you, uh, so often we can live a Christian life for weeks, months, days, years, maybe even decades, and never feel comfortable with the reality that we have kingdom authority and it is rooted not in how naturally gifted you are, but it is rooted in your identity in Jesus Christ. And so Paul opens up this passage and he gives a commandment. He gives an imperative. He says, I want you to be strong in the Lord. Now, it's a very basic, maybe even so broad it would be hard to make specific, but this is what Paul is calling the church at Ephesus and the readers now that we are. He's calling us to be strong. We are to be not flagging, not failing, not retreating. We are not to be lagging behind. We are not to be second-guessing. We are not to be hesitant. We are not to be constantly planning but never moving forth in those plans. We are to live this life in a strength that is uncommon and certainly different than the lives of those that don't know Jesus. Now, this strength is something that you will gain over time, but it involves your willingness to pursue him and thereby receive the strength. It's not something you can be educated into. It's not something that necessarily can just be imparted to you. It is something you have to receive and then operate in so that it goes stronger all your days as a follower of Jesus. Now, think about this. I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, rhetorical questions in this message, not to be answered out loud, but are you spiritually stronger today than you were a year ago? Are you more intimate with the Lord than you were a year ago? Is your ministry sensing more presence and power of God the Spirit than it was a year ago? Are you, are you operating at a level of humility that is greater than you were a year ago? Is the Word of God more active in you than it was a year ago? The reason why I'm saying a year ago is because that's how we measure kind of time. And, and I think to myself, it is so easy to get caught up in all the have-tos of life that we regulate to, uh, relegate to um, maybe an incidental uh, uh, arena whether or not we're growing stronger. Well, I I, I guess I'm growing stronger, but I'm not sure. Friend, this is a command. Be strong. And it's in the context of what we're about to find it is warfare. Well, it's not just trying harder, friends. This strength is from God. We have the strength from God. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I'm going to confess something here. I have never, not one hour of one day in my life, operated in the full strength of God's might. Not one hour, one day. Neither of you. We've operated in, in, in layers of it. We've had taste of it. We've had sporadic moments of surges of God's power. But not one of us has operated in the full strength of the might of God. And yet here we are being called into it. It doesn't mean you and I haven't operated in God's strength. But look at the words. And I, I actually like to examine the words of the Bible, not just the general tenor, but the words. The strength of his might, his authority, his power, his strength. That literally means it's outside of yourself and beyond yourself. And you and I were framed up in a post-enlightenment American culture where we are sometimes hesitant to understand, much less pursue, a strength that is beyond our natural abilities. We often pray as if we're asking God, Lord, enhance my own strength. Put a little anointing on my own strength. Uh, Maybe accentuate my God-given abilities and my natural talents. Listen, I don't mind if he does that, but this is a strength that is otherworldly. This is something independent from you, outside of you, foreign to you. And it is something that God offers each and every one of us, and it becomes a necessity when you leave your ringside seating and you get into the ring and begin to go toe-to-toe with the forces of hell. 
It doesn't come quickly. It's not a microwavable thing. It's not a drive-through thing. This is an issue of abiding and soaking and waiting and thirsting and hungering and disciplining and denying and fasting and praying and all of these things come into play. And what happens is as we experience John the Baptist reality, our decreasing manifest in an increasing of God working through us. Many of you would know exactly what I'm talking about, but you have to realize that you have authority to live this way. Uh, You don't need anything else except your identity being in Jesus Christ. And all of you who have received Christ as the Lord of your life, your identity is rooted in him and all kingdom authority is sourced in your identity in Jesus Christ. And if you know who you are, and you must begin there, do you know who you are in him? Do you know your identity in Jesus? And are you working from that identity? That is where the authority comes from and that power proceeds from those two things. Your identity and your authority results in kingdom power. Let's go further on because Paul is not gonna leave us in just these sublime thoughts. There's an actual war and he's going to highlight some things that may for many of us sound more like science fiction than they do uh, biblical theology. But this is where we're going to just be Bible believers because this is what your Bible teaches is coming against you, your kids, your grandkids, and your church. This is what your Bible says. So let's recognize our kingdom adversary. We have a foe. We have an opponent. Satan has declared war. Satan has declared war, and therefore we need protection. That's why we are told to put on the whole armor of God. Now, Paul is using a Roman soldier metaphor here, but the spiritual application is very clear. You and I are targets of an enemy that wants to do nothing less than to steal from you to kill you, and for those that are outside of Christ, to destroy their soul forever. That is his desire. Now, once we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that third part of destroying us eternally is removed from Satan's arsenal. He cannot destroy the blood-bought believer eternally, but he can steal and he can kill. And he's very interested in that because the life of the redeemed person, if it is set for the glory of God, it counters, it opposes Satan's strategy. And so he is going to fight your life. He is going to come against you. He is going to do everything he can do to make you ineffective, joyless, and lethargic in the Christian life. He actually wants to take your life, which is now meant for a testimony to God's glory, and he wants to reroute it so you'll be glorifying something else with your life. And so he fights hard, and his darts are furious, and they're frequent, and they're well-aimed. He's not a novice. He's not a rookie. He started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he sought to assault every single human being that has ever lived since them. And let me just give you this. He wins most of the time. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in that way, but narrow is the way. Straight is the gate that leads unto life, and only a few find it. So Satan is used to winning. So when he comes up against you, if he sees you or sees me unarmored, If he sees us, even in the best of our own strength, if he sees us detached from our identity in Jesus and operating in some lesser authority, or if he sees us sitting on the ringside front row watching the other believers battle, then he has well stepped towards the direction of winning his objective with us. We need protection. I'm not going to go through all the pieces of the armor. I encourage you to that study, but I am going to tell you this. It's It's an imperative command. Put it on. Put it on. You put 
on the armor of God. You put it on you. I love to teach and preach, but I'm not here to put your armor on you. Uh, I, I, I want to train up my kids. I'm not here to put their armor on. They've got to learn to put it on them. Amy has to suit up in her own armor. She doesn't need her husband to strap it on for her. She's got to suit up in her own armor. A pastor, a teacher, a leader is not to walk you through putting on your own armor. It is you coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I put on the armor that you give me, and we do it every day. In order to do that, why would we do it? We need protection, but we also need perception. There's a reason behind all of this. Let us perceive this, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The armor is necessary for you to withstand the strategic battle plan of Satan. Now, this this opens up a whole host of different ideas. For one thing, has it occurred to us recently that Satan himself, that the war room of hell actually has a strategy for us as individuals and our sphere of influence? So that, that basically we have no idea how many demons are numbered with Satan. We know that a third of the host of heaven rebelled with Satan in the initial rebellion. And there are innumerable angels that are still in heaven. That's Revelation. We talked about that last week. And so there's probably a myriad, a countless number of demonic fallen angels, and they are organized, as we're about to see, to come after us to fight. The only thing Satan fights in this world is that which might bring glory to Satan's enemy, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. And because the church is the only organism on earth that can bring glory to God proactively, we are the primary targets of the enemy. And he has a scheme. He has a strategy. He has a plan. And so do all of his soldiers, and they salute him as they carry out their duties against our lives. The only way that we're told in Scripture that we can withstand that is to be suited up with God's armor. Now, before moving on to that armor and weaponry here in a few moments, let's go into verse number 12. And um, this, is, this is thin ice for me, but I still think it's solid enough for me to walk out on. I, I want to just mention when it comes to uh, Satan's strategy that he has demonic warriors. Look in verse 12. We're told about the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, and the spiritual forces of evil. And to the best of my ability and from the benefit of men with letters behind their names that are smarter than me, let me give you this condensed explanation what I believe these these demonic entities are. The rulers seem to speak of a higher order of demons in Satan's army that are given command against warring uh, in warring against God's people. Uh, you can, might be able to see a little bit of that when, when Daniel's prayers were hindered in, in his, uh, his book. His prayers were hindered, hindered, and Michael came down and said, the prince of Persia, and it spoke of a dynamic entity, a principality that worked in that area, had resisted the message getting to Daniel. So we have this understanding that there are hierarchy, uh, there is hierarchy in the demonic realm, coming against the church and against the world. The rulers seem to have very high-ranking strategic um, empowerment in the demonic army. The authorities are also mentioned. These are demonic beings who actively battle us. You could also look at 1 Peter 3.22. There are many people in this room, and they're, they're solid. They're not insane. They're not crazy. They're not kooks. They're not, as Dustin likes to say, uh, fruit flakes and nuts. He calls them uh, spiritual granola bars. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about there are people in this room that you worship with and serve with who have had personal encounters from the demonic realm, people that can say, Jeff, I know when I've been in the presence of evil. Some have seen manifestations of evil. This is not a figment of our imagination. 
Though demons and angels are typically invisible beings, they are spiritual beings, they can take on a physical presence, they can act in possession of human beings, and they are active in our world today. Mark it down. If you don't believe that, my friend, you are very vulnerable. They work through a whole host of sources to come into our lives, to affect our thinking, to come against us. They can afflict us. They can influence our thoughts. They're not omnipresent. They're not omnipotent. They're not omniscient. But they know how to work against the human race because that's all they've been doing for thousands of years. And so they have a strategy to come up against us. And so often we, we attribute things in the natural all the time and we scarcely stop to think. Could this be of demonic origin? Could this be the enemy? Is what's going on in the life of the addict simply a a predisposition because of genetic, hereditary DNA passed down from the family? Is that all it is, or is it a stronghold, a demonic stronghold that is passed down through that family? Friends, I can tell you this, in all of my years of the alcohol and the drugs and the horrible life that I was living from age 14 to 24, I promise you this, I even knew it at the time, I just didn't know how to get free from it. No doubt about it, there was demonic activity in my life. I would dare say that they can, demons, come against us in ways that are so benign as to get you sidetracked on the way to church just so you can't receive from the word just so you can't participate in the worship, just so you can't sacrifice the sacrifice of praise. It could be as benign as that, or it could be coming against you with a disease to ravage and kill your body. This is a very real element, and they do have some assigned authority. We then move into this that is called in the ESV, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. This describes the activity of deception and blindness used to imprison people. Every generation has had a degree of blindness. I am not sure in my lifetime I have ever witnessed a more willful blindness than the generation we're living in. Don't show me what is true. Don't tell me what is true. Don't shine light into my darkness. Don't counteract my philosophy. Don't undermine my my personal views of eternity and God and so on. There is a willful blindness. Everything from morality to uh, what's going on in our nation. My friends, forgive me if this sounds overly political, but I don't really care what side of the aisle you're on and where you're going to vote in November. That's not what I'm going for. But I'm going to tell you this. There is all sorts of spewing of blind rhetoric that is going on in this process. It's just going to continue to happen. Why? Because Satan has this world system canopied with satanic and demonic blindness. It's poured uh, forth through our media through television and movies and music. That's why Amy and I are so protective of what goes on in our kids' eyes and minds and hearts when it regards Hollywood and and the music scene. We we don't want to smother them and stifle them, but nor do we want to open them up to fueling the blindness that comes from this world into their lives. You see, cosmic powers over the present darkness. You and I don't belong in this world. We're foreign to this world. The priorities of this world and the pulse of this world is driven by the rhythm of hell. And you and I need to live offbeat to that rhythm. We cannot be those that remain heads buried in the proverbial sand saying, Jeff, that's just for third world countries. When I was in Africa a couple of years ago, there was a man on the property that we were staying upon. 
And everybody was so friendly to us, and they were very appreciative. But this one man worked. uh, He didn't work. He kind of lived, I guess, on the property. And as soon as I saw him, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he has demons. He had not said a word, but his eyes were as hollow, and he knew that we were a bunch of Western preachers. And every time during those six or seven days we were there in that compound, every time I came near him, he would growl at me. And we sat there one morning. I was maybe 20 feet away from him, and I was reading on uh, my Bible or my iPad or something, and I just sensed a coldness coming over me, and I looked over my shoulder, and sure enough, he was staring right at me, mumbling under his breath. Now, friends, I don't want to make myself the hero of my own story because I didn't do anything to combat it then except pray right then and there. I didn't approach the guy, but the fact of the matter is that's just one case in my life. I've been in another couple of cases, one time uh, ministering to a young girl whose father was a, a part of the satanic church and had ritually sexually abused her most of her life before he committed suicide. And there came the time where her, her mother and stepfather welcomed me to come into the house to minister to her. And I'll never forget the evil, the presence of dark, dark, demonic evil in that place as they told me that they had seen apparitions and, and manifestations in that home. And we pled the blood of Jesus Christ over her. And she finally opened up her heart to the gospel, and I remember seeing just like her eyes just change when she opened up and received Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. I I couldn't get out of that house fast enough. I got in my car, and I was looking in the back seat. I was scared me. Why? Because I want to tell you something. In our own strength, we're no match. But we're not left to our own strength, and that's what this message is about. Fourthly, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places describes the organized activity of soliciting humans to do evil. Because this answers the objection. It's like, Jeff, man, the demonic stuff's over the top. It's just people being people. It's just wicked people. Well, it is people being people, and there are wicked people. I'm going to tell you something. They're, part, they're, they're puppets. They're marionettes on the devil's strings sometimes. He's working them to work his will, and it is all over the world today. Do you recognize your kingdom adversary? Are you fighting the right fights? L- let me just throw this in there. I determined years ago that uh, as much as it depended on me, I would not ever regard a Christian as my enemy. No matter what they did to me, no matter what their differences in theology were, I would not regard another brother, another sister as my enemy. Though they might oppose and there might be opposition, I would regard them as a brother or a sister with whom I disagree. But no, no Christian is my enemy. No person that is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ is my enemy. My enemy is Satan. My enemy is this fallen world system. My enemy is every demon of hell. And I don't want to do anything in my spirit, in my heart, in my life to cooperate with my enemy because he seeks to come to the church, uh, not, not from without most of the time, but from within. When he wants to destroy the church, he usually doesn't send in America six armed gunmen to come in and, and shoot up a prayer meeting. He, he plants his tares in the church. And so he seeks to work within, and the only thing that conquers that kind of evil is, is, is putting on the armor of God and recognizing that we have to be aware who our adversary is. And so as we move in, I want to talk to you about getting suited up in our kingdom armor. Uh, this is a, a part of the time where I want to give you a visual, and I'm going to invite our Army Staff Sergeant Trannon Thomas uh, to come up. Uh, Trannon is part of our safety team here, and uh, Trannon has uh, taken uh, three tours in Iraq. He's a veteran, Gulf War, Operation Iraqi Freedom, 
and the most recent in New Dawn. And he's going to bring something on the stage here that actually belongs to me. It's mine, but I'm going to use this as an illustration to show how many of us are in the body of Christ. What Trannon is going to bring up here at this point is my AR-15. It is not loaded. It is not loaded. There's no danger. It is my AR-15. It is my semi-automatic rifle. This is something I bought about five months ago. And let me tell you something about this gun. I have never fired it. I have never one time pulled the trigger on it. I've never really, I've held it twice. Casey Ryan helped me look through it one time and Trannon helped me look through it, but I'm holding that thing. I feel like I'm holding a baby elephant. I don't know what to do with it. But here's the thing I want you to know about this AR. It is a powerful weapon. It can do both offensive damage if I had a target that I was called to destroy, it can take care of the job. It is also, and this is why I bought it, a for home defense. If anybody comes in to attack me, my children, my wife, I have a very powerful weapon that is fully capable of stopping them in their tracks and they would go no further. But let me tell you a little bit of a problem that I have. I've got this awesome weapon It is mine. It's registered in my name. It belongs to nobody else. The government knows it belongs to Jeff Lyle. The gun control people with all of their records know that it belongs to Jeff Lyle. I can carry it wherever I want with my CCW. I can go wherever I want with it within the bounds of the law. But let me tell you something. I don't know what to do with it. I've got this powerful weapon that I can't use because I don't know how to use it. It might as well stay in the case at all times. It might as well stay there because it is as right now currently as useless in my hands as if it was in the box. But you put this thing in the hand of a trained professional and Trannon is a firearms instructor. As I mentioned, he's an army sergeant. When I look at him, I, you've heard the phrase sergeant at arms. He's the sergeant with arms. I mean, look at this, good night alive. <laughs> This brother knows what to do with a weapon. So for him, it's not show. He knows how to put it in play. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to our journey with Jesus, all of us have spiritual authority. All of us. I want you to say that with me. I have spiritual authority. I have spiritual authority. That was so weak. I have spiritual authority. You do. You have weaponry. You have strength. You have power. You have the ability to where if the enemy sees you operating in the weaponry that God has given you, in the armor that God has given you, with the strength that God has given you, the Bible is very explicit that he will run from you. He will flee. And we've got to come to the place where we recognize it's not enough to have the the awareness that we have the title to the weaponry, that we have, yeah, it's registered to me, it's in my name, I've got it because I belong to Jesus Christ. It has got to come out of the box and we've got to get the place where you're not like Jeff Lyle with his AR who's got it but doesn't know how to use it. We've got to have it, which we do, and we need to become proficient at using it. Why? There's a battle going on. There's a very real battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They are spiritual. This is a spiritual battle. So let's get suited up in our kingdom armor. Look at the responsibility that is given in verse number 13. Therefore, why? Therefore refers to verses 11 or verse number 12. Because you are wrestling, it is wrestling against you, demonic powers and satanic forces are wrestling against you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
You take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Do you see the repetition there? Stand, 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 stand. That's not a casual standing with our hands in our pockets, standing in line, waiting on a, you know, a ticket to somewhere. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about getting in rank, finding and maintaining your position, protecting the territory assigned to you, and advancing into territory that has been uh, illegitimately claimed by Satan. I believe that God made every single human being for his glory. Do you believe that? I believe that God made every single human being for his glory. And because of the fall, we have all been plunged into sin. And Satan's desire is to keep all people blinded to the rescuing gospel of Jesus Christ. And so his primary target is the minds and the hearts of people. Keep them blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is we, the church, it is us that have been commissioned to take the light of the glorious gospel of Christ and to put it before men and women and young people so that their blinded eyes will be open to the truth and the liberty and the forgiveness and the love and the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when we're talking about standing, we're not talking necessarily about standing still. We're talking about withstanding the forces of evil and then claiming territory, marching forward, giving the gospel of Christ. I thank God for what he's doing here as uh, he is raising up a, a new season and a refreshing work as two assemblies have become one and we'll ratify that in the upcoming months. But, but I'm going to tell you something. We can't truly celebrate until we are marching together and the result is the fruit of people coming to Jesus Christ, being set free from their captivity and their sin and the imprisonment and their bondage to death, hell, and the grave. We cannot celebrate just because we're having good services or larger crowds or hosting a conference this week and all of those good things that are going on. But Jesus Christ has left us here that we might take his message because it's the power of the gospel that will set the captives free. But we cannot do it in our own strength, brothers and sisters. And so Satan fights that primarily. He fights us individually, but he also fights our collective mission. So Paul says, you, Jeff, you take on the whole armor of God. Why, Lord? So that you, you can withstand in the evil day. And man, isn't it the evil day? Good night alive. Here's the requirement. Let's get into a little bit of this armor before we get to the last point. Stand fast, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That Roman soldier's gear, the belt fastened it, held all the other pieces together. Paul declares that that fastening piece, that holding piece is the truth. Friends, in all that we do, we will remain a people committed to truth. Our media outreach ministry is, is expanding. And years ago, when God gave us that desire to be able to just get the word of God out through media, it was radio, and then it was TV, and then now the Roku and the new station and all of this wonderful way to disseminate the gospel. The, the, the objective, my objective was, it must be about truth. We live in a day of lies. Without truth, everything falls apart. Let me give you something. Love, apart from truth, becomes indulgence. Truth apart from love is hardcore, can become legalism. But love apart from truth becomes indulgence. We must have the anchor of truth and that truth held together uh, in Paul's motif there, the soldier's army. And then you have the breastplate of righteousness. And I believe that speaks not only of the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ, but also our own righteousness. We're told to operate knowing that we are righteous in Christ. 
knowing that there is no condemnation, no accusation. Every week when I've been coming in here for about six weeks, there's been just this whisper of God in my heart. Jeff, minister to those who are living in shame. Talk to those that are living in shame, telling telling them I'm calling them out of shame, that no shame needs to lay upon them. We've got a lot of people with broken pasts in here and, and God invites us to leave that, that, that stuff at his feet, the junk at his feet and to walk away from it, that he'll take the very scent of it off of us, that we're not defined by the abuses in our past or the struggles in our past. Even the most recent past, weeks, days or months ago, come out of that shame and then walk with the breastplate of righteousness. That means where you need to repent, repent. Quit praying about repenting. Just repent in the name of Jesus, repent. Walk in righteousness. You're sick of that sin anyway. You're sick of the guilt. You're sick of the shame. Say, Jeff, but I'm caught up in this thing. No, you're not. That's a lie of the devil. Your identity in Jesus says that you're an overcomer, that you've been set free. You're not an addict anymore. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You're not a habitual liar anymore. You're not a a lusty person anymore. That's not your identity. Those are actions that you've struggled with, but that's not who you are. And so what, what happens, that truth and that righteousness is the requirement. Apart from those two things, the rest of the armor doesn't matter if you don't have those two things. Look at the resistance, verse number 15. The shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's where we stand. We stand in the gospel. We stand that we have peace with God. We stand that we have the peace of God. The Holy Spirit continues to shed abroad the peace of God in our hearts. It just comes in deepening layers and waves as we walk with the Lord. As we battle, we have that that ability to stand in who Christ has made us. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What an awesome picture, those flaming arrows, the flaming arrows and the shield that the Roman would have would be a very large shield. He could get almost his whole body behind it. They were often cover, covered in, in leather. And so the enemy would light an arrow on fire in hopes that it would uh, spread and, and engulf that shield to where it would leave the individual behind the shield open and defenseless. And we are told here that the thing that shields us is our faith. That's an objective faith. Sometimes we have to operate behind that shield even when we're not sure if that shield is sufficient to protect us. I don't always feel my faith. And I am called and you are called to exercise faith sometimes when we're not even sure that we have it. And I believe right now in this assembly and what God's doing here, there's a lot of us that are walking on paths that we have never been down before with the Lord. And it is calling us to stay behind the shield of faith. That means when Satan wants to pull out a flaming arrow of doubt, a flaming arrow of fear, a flaming arrow of suspicion, a flaming arrow of hostility or bitterness or selfishness or or anything to break up the work that God is doing, anything to slow down the mission that God is doing, then we have to stay behind that shield and we have to say, I march as under the Lord. He's the captain in battle. He knows where he's taking us. But you come out from behind that shield of faith because sometimes the shield of faith is heavy to carry. Sometimes we get sick of having to do everything by faith and we think, if I can just set this down, that'll free up my two hands and I'll start taking care of business myself. Somebody better say amen. (laughs) Y'all know how that goes. I'm I'm just going to set the shield of faith aside for a minute because I think I can make some things happen right here. And we get our little grubby, grimy 
fingerprints all over it, and, and it soils it. Now, friends, just hold on to the shield of faith. God will tell you when the battle has subsided a little bit, and maybe you won't have to march with that heavy of a faith. Sometimes he, he gives you a little respite, but no matter what, we're not to do things on our own. And so this resistance means that it just it assumes the reality that he's targeted us. It assumes the reality that he's shooting arrows your way. I don't know where your arrows are landing. I don't know where the arrows against you are, are, are seeking a bullseye. But I'm just going to ask you a couple of just questions because these are familiar places where the enemy has, has constantly fought God's people. Is what's going on in your home, spouses, parents and children, grandparents, is what's going on in your home maybe the result of an arrow getting lodged in there and the fire still not being extinguished? What about in your heart? You've been done wrong. Two things I know about you. You've done wrong and you've been done wrong. That's every single one of us. We've been the victim and we've been the perpetrator. That's all of us. Sometimes we forget that we're the perpetrator occasionally and we focus in on our victimhood and bitterness takes in and the devil says, that's a very familiar target for me. Boom, hit it again. Watch it burn. Watch it burn. Watch it burn. And relationships, and power is lost. And, and, and momentum, I'm talking about in, in kingdom momentum. Sometimes it's brothers, not just the brothers, but particularly brothers. The devil keeps firing his arrow into that already singed place on the bullseye called lust. And so you're not pure and you're not walking in moral integrity and you're in and out and up and down and, and, and you're forfeiting power and you're just handing the enemy large portions of your life through lust and he just keeps going after it and going after it, but you're trying to handle it with your own two hands and you've dropped your shield of faith. By the way, sometimes those shields of faith, you can fit another brother in there with you. That means you're not to have to go through the battle with lust by yourself. Bring somebody else in there with you to help you hold that shield of faith up. There's so many different ways that he targets and attacks, and I just say this, he doesn't take a day off. He never quits. When I have an easy period, sometimes days, maybe even weeks, and I don't sense the activity of the enemy, that people tell me I'm a pessimist. I just don't think so. I just think I'm a good Bible interpreter because I just believe that when he is still and not coming against me, he's just mounting up for the next point on his strategic list. I just don't think he takes a day off. So I enjoy a respite, but I know it's temporary until we are evicted from this world and brought to the place of ultimate peace and paradise with the Son of God. We can expect these battles, and we must resist standing and shielding. Defeat the gospel of peace, standing shielding with faith, and then the retaliation, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I see two things there, and I don't have time to unpack either one of them. It speaks of a mind renewed by God's Word and a mouth speaking the truth of God's Word. And that sword is the, as you well know, the only offensive, offensive weapon in all of the armor. It is the truth. It is the word. It is what we see Jesus fighting Satan with in the temptation in the wilderness. Satan came after the Son of God. You talk about bold. You talk about convinced he can win. He came after the Son of God after Jesus' baptism and haunted him for over a month coming after him, exploiting his frail weakness when he was fasting and hungry, tempting him in all these various points. And the answer to Jesus was to respond to the, the, the innuendo, the insinuation, the temptation of Satan. Jesus fought back with truth. 
And so when we're talking about this armor of God, how do we fight back? We fight back according to what is truth. I'm going to give you this. You've heard me say this a dozen times, but some of you may just wonder if he's still committed to it. Where tradition collides with truth in this assembly, truth wins. Oh, that was weak too. If you got a choice between tradition that says X and truth that says Y, which one are we going to pick? We're going to pick truth. And so whether it's a trend or a tradition, we're not interested in that. I'm not interested in making anybody denominationally happy. I want to say, what does God say in his word? How do we rightly interpret that word? How can we apply that word? If anything gets in the way of that word, that's too bad for the thing that gets in the way of it. We're going to be a people of truth, and we march according to truth. We invite the blessing and the favor of God on us. We can move in places where the enemy operates in deceit. We fight back with truth. And to the degree that this assembly remains committed to truth as found in the word of God, we will be effective. We will be powerful. We will see great breakthroughs. God will use this assembly in our community with other assemblies that are doing the same thing. We are not to wield. When my kids were little, we'd go up to the, the gigantic knife shop up in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and it's like three stories full of knives and guns. And I'm really not a redneck. I'm just one, I, I play one on TV, Amen. <laughs> But we go up there, and Landon, when he was little, he always get a little plastic sword. And, of course, they have some big, long steel ones there, and that plastic sword, and always that image always stayed in me. God's, God's sword, God's word is the truth. Tradition is the plastic sword. Which one you want to go into battle with? Now, not all, not all tradition is bad, but I'm, gonna say, I'm just saying this. When it opposes truth, uh, you've got to burn that plastic. You've got to throw it away. We need the sword of God's word. Very last thing. How do, we, how do we gain all of this? How do we begin to put on the armor? How do we get out of the ringside seating and get into the ring where the battle's happening? How do we do it? I'm going to highlight our kingdom access here, and I'm going to call you to exercise it. And it may sound like old and elementary. You're looking for a really cool new three-step process. It's, it's the same that it's always been. What is it? Spirit-owned prayer is where it begins. Praying at all times, in the Spirit. I'm not going to run down the rabbit trail of what all it might mean to pray in the Spirit. Let me just say this. It's, it, it could involve anything from just Spirit-led prayer. It could involve praying in tongues. It could involve just being filled with the Spirit as you pray so that great clarity and understanding comes. I don't want to so define it that it leaves one part out. And I'm just saying this. There are times where we must recognize that the battle has been so elevated and we're in, we're in a time like that. I don't know that it's going to end before the second coming. We're in such an elevated time of demonic activity and satanic warfare. And I, I predict it will exponentially increase this year. And it, the rescue's not coming from whoever wins the election. Uh, friends, listen, I just I want to encourage you. Do whatever you want to do in November. I hope that you will have a spirit-filled approach to your voting process. That's not where the answer comes from. If the answer and the reversal is going to come to the United States of America, it's going to come from the church of the living God. It's going to come from us, and it's only going to come through us uh, into, this, into this nation if we are people who operate in spirit-owned prayer, praying all times in the spirit. Uh, prayer is not the trinket. Prayer is not the hors d'oeuvre. Prayer is not the dessert. 
Prayer is the main course. And as we continue to move forward, once we get some groundwork laid out, we have some people right now that are chomping at the bit to say, we need to get established prayer forums here going. We will be doing that. In the meantime, these commands are given to individuals too. You pray always in the Spirit. This is where you gain intimacy with God. This is where you begin to discern the voice of God. Prayer is not simply me talking to God. It's me talking with God. So there are times where I just shut off everything and you just got to listen and you got to soak and you got to wait and he begins to speak to you and you will learn his voice. And as you learn his voice and it's incorporated with the word of God, you begin to discern his will. And that, that, that shield of faith will grow and that breastplate of righteousness will wrap more tightly around you and you'll be able to find yourself standing more firmly in the face of opposition because you're rooted in your identity in the gospel of peace. You'll become effective with the sword of the spirit. But it says pray at all times in the Spirit. So, hey, let me just give you this. Pray when you're really motivated and pray when you're not motivated. Pray late at night if you want to and pray early in the morning if you want to. Pray when everything is going your way and you just know God's going to answer and keep praying about that thing that he hasn't answered that you've been praying for 15 years. Pray when everybody tells you they've stopped praying. Pray when your own flesh feels foolish because you're wrestling, you're saying, oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just don't stop praying. Just don't stop praying. Pray when the doctor says you ought to give up praying. Uh, Pray uh, when the oil has run out and the flour is gone so that God may replenish in ways that you never imagined. That wayward, oh, man, I'm just really feeling drawn to this this morning. That wayward child that you poured Jesus into all during their childhood, and they, they have uh, exempted themselves now. Listen, do you really think that God's turning a deaf ear to your prayers? No. Of course he's not. He's working and he's moving. You say, well, I don't see it. Well, he's not obligated to show you everything he's doing. He's, he, he's too good. Sometimes he does his most precious work, and he doesn't want anybody to see it until it's done. Praying all times in the Spirit. Uh, for those of you that are hungry and thirsty, say, Jeff, I want to know what it means to pray in the Spirit. I'm glad. Tell him. Tell him. Lord, I don't know if I've ever prayed in the Spirit, but I want to. Good. Keep telling him that. Keep telling him. Say, what are you endorsing there? I'm endorsing what the Bible says. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Sustain prayer, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. My mind, I've been studying Nehemiah this week, and I I think about the fact that Nehemiah, when they were building the wall, and the enemy had really gotten hacked off, and the enemy was coming hard against Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is just awesome, man. He is so just, I just love his story. Everything that came against Nehemiah is like, no, I ain't got time for you. I ain't got time for you. I ain't got time for you. I'm doing a good work. I cannot come down. I hear you murmuring. I hear you complaining. I hear you threatening. I hear you whining. I can't come down. I'm doing a good work. But eventually, Nehemiah got with everybody else and said, okay, the enemy's not giving up. So what I want you to do is I want you to put on the mortar with your trowel with this hand, and I want you to hold your sword with the other hand. So we're going to work, but we're going to pray. We're going to do, but we're going to worship. We're going to knock out some tactical and practical things that must be done as we advance the kingdom from this location. But we're going to do so recognizing that there's a fight on and we're being called to all perseverance. That means never let your guard down. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. Oh, in the name of Jesus, help me this morning. Uh, Sometimes the enemy will work through you and if you're not alert and you're not operating in perseverance, you'll think it's the other person when it's actually coming through you. 
And so what does it do when we get tarried in prayer and we slow down and we calm down and we rest and we are persevering in prayer? God not only reveals what's going on on the outside of us, but he starts showing us what's going on on the inside of us. Say amen if he's ever shown you something nasty on the inside of you. Come on. I get down sometimes. I'm like, Lord, you know that brother has been messing with me. You know that he opposes all good and holy things in the kingdom. And Lord, I'm just going to ask you to take care of him. And I hear the Lord say, yeah, I'll handle that, but I'm going to deal with you right now, son. Me? Lord, that's just the way he works. If we're not praying with all perseverance, sometimes we're blind to the fact that we're being used of the enemy. That's why it says also to make all supplication for all the saints. It's hard to be mad at people you pray for earnestly. You know, people all around us need prayer. I do. I pray for myself. I pray for my sweet family. I pray for this assembly. Sometimes God will draw my heart out to pray for people that I barely know. And if you'll just tarry in the Lord, and I think of the church in China. I think of the church right now in Africa. I think of the church in the Middle East where they are just constantly getting persecuted and martyred for their faith. And so often we can gather glibly and we want to talk about the tempo of the songs and the color of the carpet, and the paint on the walls. And uh, it's, it's, it's just an embarrassing thing when, when I think about the, the, the people in other parts of the world that are literally shedding their blood. And so they need our prayers. They need our lifting up of their hands. And then I'll end with this strategic prayer, verses 19 and 20. Look at what Paul does. I love his humility. I mean, this is the apostle Paul. And he says, hey, while you're praying for everybody else, pray also for me. And look at what he says, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. Watch this in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is under arrest. He's writing this masterpiece called the book of Ephesians. He's telling other people how to get out of the ringside seating and getting in the ring. You see, Paul couldn't go back out to where he once was. Paul's imprisoned. He can't plant churches at that time period. I mean, the devil couldn't win with Paul. You set him free, he goes out and plants churches, works miracles, raises the dead, uh, imparts apostolic power. And then you, you put him in prison and he writes two-thirds of the Bible. I mean, you just can't be Paul. Why? Let me, let me just tell you something. Paul was a man who practiced what he wrote. He practiced what he preached. So you put him in prison, he says, I'm all right and I'm going to pray. I'm going to write and I'm going to pray. I'm going to write and I'm going to pray. And then he says, but you guys that are on the outside down at Ephesus, will you pray for me? And he's talking about while he's locked up, he goes, I'm an ambassador. I'm, I'm in chains, but I'm still an ambassador because it, you, how many of you know it's not your circumstances that determine your opportunities? God is able to give you elevated opportunity in the midst of impossible circumstances. So quit looking for the, the, what you consider the necessary breakthrough for you to be able to do the will of God. He'll use you right where you are. He'll take your change. Some of you are feeling chained at your job. Some of you are feeling chained in a, in a broken marriage. Some of you are feeling chained with, with a affliction or sickness or poverty or just whatever it may be. You're chained and you're waiting for the breakthrough before you do God's will. No, operate in your chains. You're an ambassador right there and whatever's chaining you, operate in that. But Paul did, he was wise enough to say to those that weren't chained up like he was, hey, will you pray for me? I, I want you to be strategic in this prayer because I really want to preach boldly. How many of you would have said, hey, pray for me. I want to get out of jail. Read the book of Ephesians. That request is not in there. 
his request is, may the anointing of God find me, that I can be bold. Hear that. Listen, we live in a day where there are pressure, there's pressure on Christian leaders to be soft, sweet, diplomatic. Let's gigantic group hug, wearing fur coats. Let's just be soft with each other. I, wanna, I, I just want to say this. There are seasons where the last thing a leader needs to be is sweet. There are seasons, and especially in seasons of warfare and battle and reclaiming surrendered ground, where you need a shout more than a whisper from your leaders. And we've gotten so conditioned to listen for the still small voice of God that we no longer expect to hear the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we need to be bold. So pray for your leaders that they would be bold. It's the armor of God. It's the call into battle. It's not for the other guy. It's not for the other girl. This is your season to step out, step up, step in, and engage in warfare for the glory of the king as we advance his kingdom.